find in your copy of the scripture this morning, Matthew, the book of Matthew, chapter 9. Matthew, chapter 9. And here's our theme for these next few minutes. Jesus is ready. Are you? Jesus is ready. Are we? Are we ready? At the end of this ninth chapter of the Gospel of Matthew, verse 37 and 38, we find these words. Then he, Jesus, said to his disciples, the harvest, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Therefore, beseech, pray, the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into his harvest. Now, as just a quick cross-reference, John chapter 4, verse 35, Jesus references this harvest in that spot. Just after he'd finished his time discussing what religion was supposed to be all about, where freedom was to come from, what true worship was to be all about, what um, living water, the life of the Spirit was all about. He finishes that time as the disciples come back to him, having gone into the city for food and so forth. He, he, he says to them in John 4, 35, do, do not say that there are yet four months under the harvest. For I say to you, look under the fields now, for they are white unto harvest. The harvest that is ripe, the harvest that is now. What, what is that? What is that harvest? Back to Matthew chapter 9, and I want you to just skim this chapter with me. We won't read it all the way through, but it's important to try to, as best we can, judge the context in which a statement of Jesus is made, what comes before it and what comes after it. So prior to his statement about the harvest is plentiful, and pray that the Lord of the harvest will send forth laborers into the harvest, we find this set of experiences in the life of Jesus. Matthew 9, verse 1. And getting into a boat, he crossed over, crossed over the Sea of Galilee, and came to his own city. And behold, they were bringing to him a paralytic, one who could not walk, lying on a bed, and Jesus, seeing their faith, said to the paralytic, Take courage, my son. Your sins are forgiven. Jesus healed the man, raised him up. Verse 7, And he rose and went home. But when the multitude saw this, saw the paralyzed man being able to walk, 
they were filled with awe and glorified God who had given such authority to men. Verse 9, and as Jesus passed on from there, he saw a man called Matthew sitting in the tax office, and he said to him, follow me. And he rose and followed him. And it happened that as he was reclining at the table in the house, as he was attending dinner and at dinner in Matthew, the tax collector's house, behold, many tax gatherers and sinners came and were dining with Jesus and his disciples. When the Pharisees saw this, they, they said to his disciples, why is your teacher eating with tax gatherers and sinners? As we have said quite often around here, you pick out, as far as you are concerned, the most morally despicable lifestyle. Add to that, in your opinion, the most morally despicable profession. You arrive at that name, and everywhere you see the term tax gatherer in the Gospels, you insert your name for the most morally despicable lifestyle or person. That's Matthew. <laughs> That's the one that Jesus walked up to and said, follow me. That's the one that Jesus went to dinner with in his home. And because Matthew had connections, Matthew was known. Others who were of his same tribe, others who were of his same stripe, others who were just like him showed up too. And the Pharisees, the religious police, the ones so proud of all the things they didn't do and all the things that they did do seemed to be all the time spying on Jesus and trying to find some reason to accuse him of not really being a man of God, mainly because he was just flat out so nice to people, because he didn't have as many hills to die on as the religious crowd had. So here, that's the Pharisees. When the Pharisees saw this, they said to his disciples, why is your teacher eating with the tax gatherers and sinners? But when he heard this, Jesus heard this, he said, it's not those who are healthy who need a physician, but those who are sick. But you go and learn, saying back to the tax gatherers, saying back to the Pharisees, excuse me, you go and learn what this means, and he quotes scripture to them. I desire compassion and not sacrifice. For I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Verse 18, skip over to verse 18. While he was saying these things to them, behold, there came a synagogue official and, and bowed down before him saying, my daughter has just died, but come and lay your hand on her and she will live. And Jesus rose and began to follow him, and so did his disciples. And behold, a woman who had been suffering from a hemorrhage for 12 years came up behind him and touched the fringe of his cloak, for she was saying to herself, if I only touch his garment, 
I shall get well. But Jesus, turning and seeing her, said, Daughter, take courage. Your faith has made you well. And at once the woman was made well. When Jesus came into the official's house, saw the flute players and the crowd in noisy disorder, he began to say, Depart, for, for the girl has not died but is asleep. And they began laughing at him. But when the crowd had been put out, he entered and took her by the hand, and the girl arose. And this news went out all over the land. And as Jesus passed on from there, two blind men followed him, crying out and saying, Have mercy on us, son of David. And after he'd come into the house, the blind men came up to him, and Jesus said to them, do you believe that I'm able to do this? And they said to him, yes, Lord. Then he touched their eyes, saying, be it done unto you according to your faith. And their eyes were opened, and Jesus warned them, saying, see here that no one know about this. But they went out and spread the news about him in all the land. And as they were going out, behold, a dumb man, a man who could not speak, demon-possessed, was brought to him. And after the demon was cast out, the dumb man spoke, and the multitudes marveled, saying, nothing like this was ever seen in Israel. Verse 35, but Jesus was going about all the cities and the villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every kind of disease and every kind of sickness, and seeing the multitudes, he felt compassion for them because they were distressed and downcast like sheep without a shepherd. Then, there's the connecting word, then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. What harvest, Jesus? It's the harvest of poor in spirit people. He would say in Matthew, Jesus would speak, the Beatitudes, those, those words of blessing, blessed, blessed are those who are poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. As we often will say, you can't have a kingdom without a king. And if you have a king with a kingdom, there is the rule and there is the reign. There, are, there is the, the expression of power. There is the expression of freedom. There is the expression of provision from the king who is ruling over that domain. Paul will say the kingdom of God in words. The kingdom of God is power. The harvest that Jesus speaks of here is the rule and the reign of King Jesus moving into the hearts of poor in spirit people. Sometimes that poverty, that poorness of spirit is going to be manifest in physical poverty, in physical lack, just, just poor people financially. But it's way more than that, and we see it expressed here. Blind men, a man who couldn't speak, a, 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 a daddy whose, whose baby girl had just died, a woman who couldn't find a cure 
for the bleeding within her. All of those things, folks, are expressions of people who were poor in spirit. And because they were poor in spirit, they had an openness to the king when he came offering the kingdom. Not everybody, not everybody is a part of the ripened harvest fields. Not everybody. Jesus would say, the harvest is plentiful. But where was the harvest plentiful? The harvest was plentiful, and don't miss this. It's so vital. It's so important. It helps to explain why some folks get it, some folks are ready for Jesus, and some folks tune him out and may go years and may never turn back to him. It's all about how poor they are in their spirits. The harvest is made up of one's poor in spirit who are drawn to Jesus. Not religion, not form, not fiction, but the person of the living Jesus Christ. He is the one who sets captives free. He's the one who heals broken hearts. He's the one who can restore vision. He is the one who has the ability to do what nobody else can do. Jesus is ready to harvest the harvest. Are you and I ready to participate with him in the harvest? I want to suggest to you, to all of us, that there may only be one eternal thing that we do on any given day. We can think of lots of short-term, temporary, of-this-world things that don't carry past the setting of the sun. But there is one something that the Lord invites us to participate with him in that is eternal in the sense of the soul around you, the person around you, or persons around you, poor in spirit, that some way, somehow, you just notice, you're drawn to. The Jesus inside you is drawn to whoever that person may be or persons may be. And the fact that you have opened your mouth to encourage them, you, you have extended your hand to bless them, you, you, have, you have written something to them that would point them to Jesus. That may be, sad to say, but it may be the only truly eternal thing that we do on that given day. The harvest that he's talking about here is an eternal harvest. It's forever. It's from now on. He sends us on the mission not to save the ones who would be lost but to point them in the direction of the one who is able to save them and to rescue them. Jesus is ready. Are, are we ready? I want to offer to you some other options on this matter of the poor in spirit and ones who make up the harvest. We've mentioned, we've seen here the ones sick physically. And that's caused them to realize that there are things they can't do, places they can't go, business and professional life that they can't perform. Jesus will say in John 14, 12, Now, brothers and sisters, 
I could ask you, what's your personal relationship with John 3.16? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believed in him, believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. A bunch of us could, could raise our hand and say, I, I feel like I have a personal relationship with John 3.16. I believe it's true. Every syllable of it's true. And as a result of that, I've been forgiven. And, and, and I know I have a home in heaven and I will live forever with the Lord. But what about John 14.12? What, I'm talking about personal relationship with John 14, 12. It's all the Bible. It's all good. But what about this verse? Jesus said, truly, truly, I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, shall he or she do also. And greater works than these shall he do or she do because I go to the Father. The same works that Jesus did. Well, what did he do? He opened blinded eyes. He raised up a girl who, had, who the father had assumed she had died. And all of those examples, as the Lord sends us into his harvest, we need to understand that we can't tell him what not to do with us. That, that if we're going out in his name, if we're being sent forth by the power of his spirit, and, 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 and we're, our heart is drawn to someone of, with a physical need, a physical sickness. Instead of trying to find Brother David Turner in Atlanta to come pray, instead of calling up somebody way over yonder that you thought might have an anointing to pray, what if it's you? Right there on the spot. You say, well, I, I don't know if he'll do it. Well, it's not up to you to tell him how to do it, when to do it, or what to do. It's just, Lord, my heart's drawn to this one and they're sick, or someone they care about is sick. That's the place of poverty of spirit in them. And I believe you want to win them. I believe you want to claim them. So, Lord, I'm just asking you, if a part of your claiming them and getting their attention and causing them to turn to Jesus is to heal that sick baby or to heal that heart congestion in that life or whatever it is, Lord, for your glory in the way that you want to do it, I'm just asking you to touch them. Just asking you to eat. One of the greatest churches in all the world is, a, is a, an amazing congregation in Seoul, South Korea. And the, the evangelism method in that church for decades has been you find folks who don't know Jesus, and then you find what their hearts are burdened for. If it's a sickness or a marriage problem, a runaway child or a financial deal, find out what it is and then you tell them you're going to be praying for that need to be met in their lives. Praying in the name of Jesus that he by his power would fix that. And then it would be the request, the name taken back to a group of Christians and they would pray and they would just ask the Lord. Miracle evangelism, financial deliverance evangelism, whatever you want to call it, but they would just pray, Lord, it's not about the money. It's not about the physical sickness. It's about their soul. We're asking you for their soul. Whatever it has to be, whatever you need to do to prove to them that you're real, to prove to them that you care, to prove to them that you're able, we ask you to do it. And I mean to tell you, thousands upon thousands in Seoul, Korea, have come to know Jesus when they didn't know him before, but the Lord met them and drew them to himself 
by answering the prayer just as in these Bible days of, he, of healings coming and deliverances coming in answer to prayer. And the one would, ones would have to say, find the ones who said they would pray for them. And I, I, I need to tell you. I need to tell you what's happened. <laughs> I need to tell you what's happened. And then the ones who had been praying are able to say, well, here's why it happened. It's because there is one who loves you, and his name is Jesus. And he died on the cross for you. He paid the price for your sins. And he was raised again on the third day, so now he could come out of heaven and live in your chest. The one who loves you and, and healed or delivered, his name is Jesus. His name is Jesus. His name is Jesus. So, Lord, folks, when we pray, Lord, fill me with your spirit. Fill me with your spirit. Paul would say one expression of that in Romans 5, 5 is going to be that the love of God explodes in our hearts by the power of the Holy Spirit. That's not just the love of God, his love for us, but his love for the world, his love for people. The love of God shed abroad in our hearts by the power of the Holy Spirit. We, we, we need to just hang on to that. that, that, that you know, and and it, isn't it amazing how the Lord will just bypass all kinds of protocol when he just comes to just start working like that in our hearts? You may be the big boss or you may be the newest person in the organization way down here, but you just begin to notice something. Somebody you drive by, walk by, park next to, pass in the hallway, some way, somehow, but there's just something in you. You see that there's a sadness on their face. You see that there's a question in their eyes. You, you, you sense some things about Maybe there's this anger that just is right here all the time. And the Jesus in you, the Jesus in you just, just goes off when that need walks by you. It's the same Jesus who walked this way and did these things way back yonder that is alive and pulsing and living and feeling through you and through me today. That's the harvest, and that's the sending forth of laborers into the harvest. The, the wonderful next fulfillment of Jesus' instruction, you pray for the Lord of the harvest, that he would send forth laborers into the harvest. Then we find ourselves just face to face with Acts chapter 1. And Jesus, following the resurrection, he, he's, he's not dead anymore. He's been, he was crucified for the sins of, of, of the world, and, and, but he was buried. They knew he was buried, and, and then he was raised again on the third day. And so they're hearing him teach. But he says, don't, don't leave Jerusalem, but you wait for what the Father has promised, which I told you about. You shall receive power after the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost part of the, of the world. The Holy Spirit being given to the church, filling the church, that's the energy for us being sent out into this harvest, bearing witness of Jesus, doing as Jesus did, praying in his name for breakthroughs, healings, deliverances, but also the truth about who he is and the tangible expressions of his kindness and his compassion toward people. I, I never get enough of this. I, I read the Gospels, and, and sometimes I will do it just with an idea of, okay, Lord, I want you to help me mark again all the things that you did for people, 
all the kind things, all the supernatural things, all the practical things that you did for people and they didn't even know who you were. They, they couldn't call the name Jesus. It, it wasn't that they were getting blessed because they had been baptized or because they had repented or because they had turned over a new leaf. They were just blessed by Jesus because he loves people. <laughs> he, he was drawn to people. And he was drawn to touch them at the place of their greatest need, their greatest felt need. My brother, my sister, when we pray, Lord, fill us, and we pray, Lord, send us into the harvest, then we need to understand that he will send us into the opportunity for relationships, for engagements with ones who are poor in spirit. That's the harvest. That, those are the whitened fields. There are some, who, they're in a field that isn't whitened yet because they're not poor in spirit. Jesus would say about rich people that it's hard for the rich to inherit the kingdom of heaven because they've got all their confidence in the things of this life. That being said, that being said, money can't buy everything. Money can't solve everything. Money can't satisfy everything. Therefore, the Lord may set you in a relationship with someone who, who has lots of everything, but he has you there, and as you're praying the prayer, Lord, show me the harvest. Show me the harvest. Show me the harvest. Open my eyes to the harvest that God may give you the ability to connect with that person at the very spot of the deepest ache, the deepest emptiness, the greatest longing in their heart. And what happens if you have all the money that you can buy your way out of situations, but when you have all that money to spend, there is nothing you can spend it on that solves the problem that's breaking your heart and the hopelessness that can be there, the frustration that can be there. But all the way, the other end, the ones who don't have anything. Paul will say to the Corinthian church, you look around at yourselves. You consider your calling, brethren and sisters, that there are not many mighty among you. There are not many noble as the world counts mightiness and nobility. Common, ordinary people, and in a sense, ones who have known what it is to be poor in spirit. But you look at what God's done for you and in you. It did not, was not tied to what you didn't have or what you did have. The Lord gave to you out of his riches in glory in Christ Jesus that which he wanted most and deepest to bless you with. It, it, it's amazing how the Lord just has a way of, of setting aside protocol, culture and protocol when he sends us into the harvest. You may be at the top level organizationally of an organization, but genuinely from your heart to be moved with a level of compassion for someone who may be the newest employee or newest person to show up in the parking lot. And the Jesus in you just somehow, there's something just registers. And, and you could say all day long, well, I, they're, not, they're not in my area or that's not something I ought to be worried about. i got all this other stuff going on. But the Jesus in you connects you 
with, and that one may not even know it, but you find yourself praying for them. Whenever they pass by, you find yourself praying for them. You, you, you find yourself knowing, Lord, I need to be open to whatever you would have me to say or to do. I want to be able to do it. On the other end of the thing, someone very low having somehow a relationship with someone very high or the lateral kinds of things. that The ethnicities just don't matter anymore. Ages just don't matter anymore. The harvest is about people who are poor in spirit and, and the Lord gives you somehow of a, rela- a relationship with, but it may even precede the relationship just a knowing in your knower that there's something going on there. And Lord, I'm asking you to touch them. I'm asking you to reach them. I'm asking you to save them. I love these references. Jesus would say in, in um, John 7, verse 37, if anybody's thirsty, let him come to me and drink. For out of his innermost being shall flow rivers of living water. This he spoke of the Holy Spirit who was yet to be given, but he hadn't been given because Jesus hadn't been glorified. Well, the good news is Jesus has been glorified. The Spirit is, is, is available. And if anybody's thirsty, you're going to find somebody that you know is thirsty. And they're drinking maybe out of all the wrong water fountains. But they're doing that because they're thirsty. There's something going on inside them that keeps pushing them into wrong places. And through a relationship and through kindness and through a compassion and not having 40 hills to die on and building a relationship with them, at some point you're able to say, let me tell you, let me tell you what the one who changed my life had to say. He said, if anybody's thirsty, let him come to him and drink. And out of your innermost being shall flow rivers of living water. I remember, I remember passing that on to a guy who ran a ranch down in South Texas, and he big old place, and the guy that owned the place has more money than he'll, he could spend in a thousand lifetimes. And this, this young man was, was working for him and, and was doing what he loved to do, but, but he, had a, he had a drinking problem. He had, had some other stuff going on, and I never tried to fuss at him about the drinking because the drinking is just a symptom. He was, he was thirsty for something, and, and that's all he knew, the only place he knew to go. And I gave him, I felt led to give him this verse. If any man's thirsty, Jesus said, let him come to me and drink. <laughs> and out of his innermost being shall flow rivers of water. I, the phone rang. Folks, I'm telling you, the phone rang about daylight one morning. And this, this young man's on the other end of the line, out in the middle of nowhere in South Texas. And he said, he said, Pastor, I think I got that river. I think something, I think I got that river. There's something, and I mean, he almost got to hollering on the phone. There's something coming up inside of me. That there's, that there's, there's something happening. I, I, did, I said, well, just go with it. Just go with it. Don't try to figure it out. Just go with it. And it, 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 he had been straight-jacketed with alcohol stuff and all the other things, and, it just, and it, none of that worked. But this worked. This stopped it. This satisfied him. And it was Jesus poor in spirit, poor in spirit, poor in spirit, and to the poor in spirit, to the thirsty poor in spirit, he says, I'm water that you drink of this water, and it'll be living water, satisfied every part of your cell, every cell in your body. Oh, goodness. He said, I'm, I'm the bread of life. Some folks are just hungry. But folks, listen, listen. We can say these verses till we are blue in the face. But if the people we're saying them to or the persons we're saying to aren't poor in the spirit, poor in spirit, something else they're going to to satisfy them and they hadn't seen the end of it yet. That harvest field isn't ripe. 
Not, not, it's not right. It's not ripe. It's not ripe yet. That doesn't mean it won't be. It just means that for right now, it isn't. Paul would say, I, I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. I planted the seed. Another fellow came along and encouraged the seed in the souls of people, but it was God in his timing who gathered in the increase, who gathered in the harvest. That's the way it is for us. So these eternal things that we want to be found doing, and there may only be one or two in a day that truly makes eternity, but when it is that we find ourselves being drawn to speak a word of encouragement, to speak a word of hope, to pray for somebody who doesn't know how to pray for themselves, then we're tapping into eternity. We're tapping into the eternal plan of God for that life. And it's not lost to us. I, I love this one in Jeremiah chapter 29. You, know, you probably all quote this one. It's, it's, um, the, the, the reference, the context is for Jewish people, for, for um, Jewish nationals in a sense that, that have been They've been sent away because of the, the, the corruption of the nation, and they're, they're in Babylon, and, and Jerusalem has been taken. But here, here's, this, here's this statement, for I know the plan, verse 11, for I know the plans, the Lord says, that I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for calamity, to give you a future and a hope. When somebody's poor in spirit, and they're searching and they're trying to find something that they could, they could really sink their teeth into in terms of hope, they might just hear this verse and it might just witness to something inside of them. The Lord saying to them, I know the plans that I have for you. Plans for welfare, not for calamity to give you future. Then you will call upon me. Now look at this. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me and I will listen to you. And you will seek me and you will find me when you search for me with all your heart and I will be found by you. Jesus is ready. Jesus is ready. Are we ready to enter in with him? The, the, ones, the ones searching, the ones searching, searching for for a solution, but, but deeper than that, realizing that the life is too complicated. The mess around them is too great that they don't have the ability to work themselves out of it. Only someone bigger than they are. Only, only a step beyond. Only the supernatural could fix this. Folks, that means being poor in spirit. As long as we're talking to folks and they're just still trying to get one more self-help group, they're just trying to find the perfect job, right? They're trying to find the perfect woman or the perfect man, and that, that's going to fix what, and it's all about this life. That harvest isn't ripe. That harvest isn't ripe. Doesn't mean we don't sow the seed, but we don't necessarily need to be counting the minutes on the clock as to when the harvest is going to come in. But when that same one that same one with that hollow look on their face, with that, with that sense of the loss of confidence coming out of their voice. They don't even have to say, I need God. You can, just, you can just tell, you can tell by the way they talk, by the way they look, that something has changed. 
then I'd just tell you, get off, get off in a room somewhere and just celebrate, start celebrating the goodness of God. The harvest is at hand. The harvest is close because the closer we get to the poor in spirit place, the closer we get to the rescue that the Lord alone can bring and desires to bring. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. That's the only way you get the kingdom. You don't get it by quoting scripture. You don't get it by getting a certain kind of degree. You don't get it by going to a particular church. Blessed are the poor in spirit. For theirs is the kingdom of God. What is the kingdom? The kingdom is not words. The kingdom is power. The kingdom is power. That means power over some things. Victory from some things. Power to be able to do some things that you haven't been able consistently to do. The kingdom of God is not words, but it's power. The deeper we get into that place of knowing we need him, the more we live in that place of experiencing the flow of his life and his power. It doesn't mean that we're just all the time stooped over. We're not going to be stooped over and, 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 and negative and pessimistic. It, it, we're negative and pessimistic about who we are, negative and pessimistic about what I'm not able to do and what we're not able consistently to do, but our confidence shifts from looking at me, you looking at you, and our confidence looking to him, the one who the one who loved us in our sin, died for us in our sin. We hadn't repented yet. We hadn't asked him to come into our heart yet. But still he loved us. Still he wanted us. Still he came after us. And he won us. My confidence is not in me. But my confidence is in the one who chose me, who chose you. The one who says, I know the plans that I have for you, not for calamity or defeat, but to give you a future and a hope. Sometimes we run into folks, they're just covered up with, with guilt, with guilt, shame, shame. That leaves them at a place of being poor in spirit. Consider this one. Consider this passage. Just, just an awesome statement of the Lord's heart in Isaiah chapter 55, verse 7. Let the wicked, let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. And the reason I'm giving you these, these different categories and specific references is because as you're out in the harvest field the Lord's assigned you to, there may be somebody you run across that's sick physically or tired. There's another one. Come to me, all who are weary and are heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. Matthew 11. Or thirsty or hungry or searching or guilty. And the way of pointing them to the Lord is just pointing them to something that he said. Not, not quoting it in a dry and, and unfeeling kind of way, but being able to speak it like it's out of your own story, like it's out of your own testimony. I was this way, wicked. let the wicked forsake his way, the unrighteous man his thoughts, and let him return to the Lord, and he will have compassion on him, and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. Jesus is ready to pardon. Jesus is ready to abundantly pardon. Jesus is ready to welcome the one who comes back. Jesus is ready. 
can be a yet to be determined whether those that we're praying for, whether they are in that ripened wheat field or where there's yet some more time that needs to pass. It, it's, a, it's a stunning thing how open, how open to the good news of Jesus poor in spirit people are. That, that it doesn't have to be much, but when they're hungry, when they're thirsty, when they're searching, when they're guilty, we've all been there in some way, haven't we? And the Lord has ways of connecting us. We don't know it. We don't understand it. But there is often some, some parallel line. There, there's some track that they've been walking in that we had walked in and we somehow have a sense of what they may be feeling. And our heart goes out to them. So, so how far into the harvest field are you? Are we just sitting around watching Christian TV and sway into Christian music on the radio and doing all our talk with just Christian people who we think have it all together? God help us. God, the, the, whole, the whole world could, could, could fall off into the abyss. We wouldn't even know it. And we wouldn't care. That's what I'm saying. When we start praying, Lord, fill me with your spirit. You're God and I am not. Possess this vessel for your glory and send me into your harvest. Then understand he's going to send me into connection some way or another with poor in spirit people. And even though we may not have our speech all written out ahead of time, when we get there, we're going to know what we're supposed to say, if we're supposed to say anything. But it may be just doing something. It may be just showing kindness. You say, well, what's the direct correlation between doing something in kindness and the person of Jesus? It's all about the heart of Jesus. It's all about what he did. And in time, as hearts are stirred and warmed, there will be a drawing to do. We may be the one who plants. Some other person comes along and waters. But, but it'll be the Lord who adds the increase, and we'll see him on the streets of glory one day. I, I have a, I, I just kind of chuckle sometimes when you get the feeling from some folks you know, who would know the Lord, Christians, that, you know, my Christian life's just gotten a little, it's just gotten boring. I just, it's just boring. I, well, there, there's a real antidote for that. And the antidote is just get to praying, Lord, send this laborer into the harvest. There isn't anything boring about the harvest of broken lives and broken people. It's safer for us to just stay away and not engage. It's safer for us to not ever seek out a relationship with somebody who has a lifestyle or a profession that is morally despicable to us. But 
we have the glaring example of Jesus the Christ who spent whole evenings, so much so that his reputation was in the eyes of some religious people ruined because he was willing to seek a relationship with ones that he knew were poor in spirit. Nothing about what they were so showing or do, would express it, but he knew it. He was drawn to them. Luke, you know, the, the, the physician and, and as, a, as a, even an ancient physician, he, 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 would, he had an eye on numbers and places and geographic locations and who was in charge of what. When he gets to recording in Luke chapter 15, how many of these tax gatherers and sinners were gathered together to hear Jesus? He said, it looked like all of them had come to hear Jesus. But don't think for a minute that the squeaky clean religious crowd liked that. But then we've got to answer the question, whose laborer are we? Who do we work for? Who do we want to honor most? And it's the Christ, it's Jesus who gave us the example to follow. Now, we're going to be leaving here. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not giving you something that I hope you'll take six months to think about. Well, maybe there's a little bit of truth in that. I'll come back to it in August. We're going to be leaving this place. And a lot of us are going to be going out to get something to eat. And there's going to be somebody that will take our order. There's going to be somebody we'll park next to in the parking lot. There will be a series of things maybe as the day goes on. They're just random kinds of encounters. It may not be that we launch into some large, lengthy discussion with any of them, but it may be that something will be quickened in your spirit to just be able to say to that waiter who's been working hard, trying hard all day long, to just be able to say, thank you for serving us well. You know, what's the big deal about that? It's a big deal if you're the waiter and you hadn't had a nice look or a nice sound and what if that connects with some other dot where there's somebody else speaking some and somewhere other there's another dot over here and this is the one that will say, I've been praying for you. And that one over here will say, well, you know, somebody was nice to me. I didn't even know who they were, but nice to me at that table I waited on today. God has a way of causing things to be remembered in the hearts of people. So we love them and we bless them. Did I tell you all what Shirley did the other day? So remember when she got up here and said, everybody that is praying to be filled with the Holy Spirit, if you stand up, you know, and we prayed again for the filling of the Spirit. You remember that? Two days later or so, we went to a Mexican food restaurant. Not far, have I not told you all this? No. Hadn't told you this? Okay. We went to a Mexican food restaurant we go to because they have really, really good green chicken enchiladas. Really good now. Really good. And <laughs> so we're in there and but the one, a couple of guys who run this, this restaurant, we have been praying for. We, we, we've had a, we've had a, just an interest in, and a very good guys work hard and so forth. But, they, you know, probably not, I'll just put it this way, probably not church people. You know what I'm trying to say? Probably not every Sunday morning going to be in somebody's church. Well, so I know she didn't plan this. We walk in there, and I'm, I'm thinking, I'm thinking, enchiladas. 
I, I wasn't necessarily thinking harvest and, and so forth. The great man of faith that I am, tender heart that I have, go in there and, and so we give the order, sitting there and there are other people around, not real crowded, but in a very conversational tone, Shirley just says this, we're getting ready to pray and thank the Lord for our food. Is there something we could pray for you about? Okay, active restaurant, customers, he's got people trying to pass food through the window coming out of the kitchen back at him. To my blessed surprise, and, and, and surely I know, he paused a minute, and then he looked at her and he said, yes, there are some things. He listed, just, just out of his heart, three or four things that he was concerned about that mattered to him to, to ones that are pretty much strangers. He sees us. Well, he sees us so much, they see us coming. They go ahead and punch our order in the computer, and then we go from there. But we don't, don't know us real well. He said, yes, there are. So I thought that we were going to go from there, we're going to pray for you when we pray for our food, that we would bow our heads and close our eyes over the plate of enchiladas. And we'd pray that way. But she just looked back at him in a conversational tone. She didn't clear her throat and get up on the seat. <laughs> May I have all of your attention? She didn't. It wasn't that at all. It was just very conversational. But she prayed for him. I peeked. I mean, I peeked. I wanted to see if he was walking off while we had our eyes. You know, he, he just stood right there, head bowed, eyes closed. She, she, prayed from, she prayed from the table of contents to the maps. She prayed from the northern hemisphere to, and everything in between. I mean, it, it wasn't more than four or five hours. It was, it was, it was just what it needed to be. And when she was done, she was done. And he looked at us and he said, thank you. And then the part that still just causes me to choke up to where I can't hardly describe it. Shirley didn't see this, but as we were walking out, I looked at him. And he was standing back there at the kitchen at the window where they passed the food through. He put both of his hands up in the air and was waving goodbye, 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 goodbye. They don't, they don't know our names. They don't know this church. May not even really know Jesus, but I'm going to tell you, he's on the road. He's on the road. He's on the road. It, it, that, that, can seem, that, that can seem like, and, and she, I'm going to probably get in trouble for one more time mentioning her name in a public place on that. And, and it wasn't about... Just a sermon illustration, just so we can tell you all about something. That, that was, and you know her, you know, there's, a, there's not going to be any put on about it. She didn't walk into the restaurant with that in mind. But when she got there and saw the guy and the spirit put in her heart, here's what you do. You, you tell me that's boring. You tell me that, 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 that this, this, this Christianity stuff is just for, you know, just for folks who, who don't have any energy and don't have any adventure about them and they're just, they're, they're just all soiled up and locked down. No. He'll stretch you like you've never been stretched. 
He'll dare you to step out of a boat, walk to him on the water. He'll do all kinds of things. And the sense, the sense of joy that somehow, Lord, I don't understand it, but I felt like I got to be in on something eternal. Something eternal. Amen. Amen. Well, let, let's, let's, let's pray a moment. I, if you're just, those of you who have, you, you'd want to do it, just, just open your hands as you sit there. Just, just open your palms before the Lord. Lord, we, we read your words. We hear your instruction. And our spirit deep within us says, yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Do that with me. Show me the harvest. Show me the harvest, Lord. Show me the harvest. Take me into the harvest, Lord. By the power of your spirit, give me what to say. Give me what to do. And Lord, I'll just rejoice in the in the blessing of sensing your presence, sensing that we're doing this together, that I'm not an orphan. I'm, 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 you're not the offensive coordinator way up in the press booth. You, you, you were right with Christ within me. Emmanuel, you're, you're in me, and we're doing this together. Lord, take us into those whitened harvest fields. And, and Lord, will you, will you just help us not to give up? On some who are, they're a kernel of grain, it just hadn't ripened yet. They're in the field and it's growing, it's, it's just no poor in spirit, no, no big enough of a factor of poor in spirit that has caused them to really be open to you and your power and your rule. Lord, we ask you to bring them to that place because we love them. We ask you to bring them to the same place that you brought us to where we found ourselves hungry for Jesus, thirsty for Jesus. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name.